Good morning again, Journey. Glad you're here. It's a gift to be with all of you. My name's Chris, still. Chris. Uh, it's, it's been an interesting week, and there's been a lot in, in, in my world and in the worlds of people that I love and know, and, and I was even just struck by it this morning as well as we, if you were here for that, we got to stand up here and we got to dedicate Ruby to the Lord. And then we've got this row of high schoolers hanging out here and they're going to graduate some of them. And like, there's all of these new things happening. And then uh, I have some friends who, who lost somebody that they love this week. And then my, my aunt ended up in the hospital as she struggles with cancer. And then Bob, my friend and our lead pastor, his wife is suffering through some very acute vertigo and was in the hospital as well. And, and I was just put in the reality of just the world we live in. There's all of this newness breaking in and then there's all of this grieving that takes place on the other side. And to be honest, I didn't know how to tell all of us that. And so I think we just pray. I think that's what we do. And I, I wanna just invite us to pray. You too probably have the same tension that I have. You know people in your life right now, there's a burden you carry for them. Let God bring them to mind who you might pray for. Pray for those we do now. Pray for Bob's wife, Carmen. And let's just, let's intercede is what you would call that. We would be interceding on behalf of those we know and love. That, that God would break in, that God would meet them in their grief. That God would send those off on new journeys who are on new journeys. But let's intercede on behalf of those we love and those we care for. And believe that God will meet us in the midst of our own grief and our lack of answers and the struggle that all of that pain brings with it. So I'm just gonna allow us all to, to sit with the Lord and, and do that, and then I'll close us in prayer. Let's pray together. God, we, we need you. As Paul writes in Romans, when we don't know what to pray, we know that your Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, praying in groanings the things that our words cannot express. And so God, we realize we're actually joining you in praying this morning. We bring to you our pain, our grief, our new expectations, our new life, and we acknowledge the reality that the world we live in it's difficult to navigate at times. It doesn't make sense. It's full of heartache. And yet you're still present and with us and among us and you long to meet us, draw near and comfort us. So we ask that you would do that. Would we undeniably encounter you today? The one who comforts, the one who brings hope, the one who lights up the darkness, the one who holds us near. You are the God we need. Let us meet you in this place. We welcome you. We invite you to, to teach us this morning, Lord. Through our encounters with one another, through our songs, through our prayers, and through the scriptures as well. Would your Holy Spirit teach us and form us 
and help us to know you more intimately. And God, I pray for myself too, that as I share what you have for us today, that it would be your words that we hear, that they would be for you and from you, and that everything that we do here today as we gather those of us hopeful and excited, those of us grieving and sad together, joined as one family would bring great, great glory to you, God. We love you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Journey. Okay, well, let's see where this goes. Uh, we're, we're in Exodus 18 today. And, and Exodus 18 is this really fun story about a son and his father-in-law. The son is Moses, the father-in-law is Jethro. And so Moses is leading the people of God, the Israelites. He's led them out of Egypt, out of slavery. And they're on their way to the promised land. And now they're in the wilderness. And all kinds of crazy things are happening in the wilderness. There's been manna falling from heaven. There's been a battle. There's been water and rocks. And now they're kind of settled a little bit in the wilderness for the moment. And Jethro, Moses's father-in-law shows up on the scene and he brings with him Moses's wife and their two kids. I have no idea why they were away, but here they come back together. And Jethro and Moses have this interaction. They meet up, he pays his respect to Jethro. They've had a good relationship up to this point in time. And so after Jethro gets there, Moses and Jethro, which is a great name by the way, Moses and Jethro go into Moses' tent for a conversation. So here's what happens next. Exodus 18, verse 8. Moses told his father-in-law everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh in Egypt on behalf of Israel. He also told about all the hardships they had experienced along the way and how the Lord had rescued his people from all their troubles. Jethro was delighted when he heard about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel as he rescued them from the hand of the Egyptians. Praise the Lord, Jethro said, for he has rescued you from the Egyptians and from Pharaoh. Yes, he has rescued Israel from the powerful hand of Egypt. I now know that the Lord is greater than all other gods because he rescued his people from the oppression of the proud Egyptians. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. Aaron and all the elders of Israel came out and joined him in a sacrificial meal in God's presence. And so here we have Moses celebrating with his father-in-law all that God has done. And as most celebrations do, they follow with a meal. And so they have this meal together. Gathered in the wilderness after God has brought God's people out of slavery in Egypt through the Red Sea. And here they are. And the in-laws pick up the tab. What a great day for Moses. But Jethro didn't leave after that. Jethro sticks around, right? So you've got a little taste. We've got Jethro, the father-in-law. We've got Moses, the son-in-law. And now with Jethro in town and he sticks around after this great feast, it's time for him to see what his son-in-law is doing with his life. Here's how that goes down. Verse 13, the next day, Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. 
They waited before him from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, what are you really accomplishing here? Why are you trying to do all this alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? Ah, isn't it nice to just get to spend some time with your in-laws? There are so many in-law jokes in all of this. It's, I love my in-laws. I don't know about you, but here he is saying, now Moses, what are you really doing? See, because what's unique, even at just this point in time, is that Moses has in fact set up a way in which justice could occur. Right, you realize these are people who spent 400 years in slavery. So if they've gotta wait around all day long to have their dispute settled, that's a lot easier than 400 years of oppressive slavery. So they're kind of like, I guess this is how it is. It doesn't seem all that much better, but it's a little better. And yet here comes an outsider, Jethro, seeing what's at place. And he kind of has some critique, doesn't he? Like certainly we can tell Moses cares for the people. Moses wants to help his people but he's made one of the biggest leadership errors. He's trying to do it all alone. He's trying to do it by himself, which turns out he's really gonna end up not accomplishing anything at all. I also think it's interesting that he kind of notes when he looks at Moses that everyone's standing around Moses. And so I think I have a unique way to see that I'm an only child, so I'm able to identify when somebody thinks the entire thing revolves around them. And that's what Moses is doing. He's at the center of everything. His heart is for his people, but he's found himself trying to do it all by himself at the center of everything that's going on. So how does Moses reply to his father-in-law's critique? Here's what he says. Moses replied, verse 15, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. When a dispute arises, they come to me and I am the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them his instructions. See, Moses' defense is he says, I'm the only one who can pass on what God has given us. I have to be the focal point I'm the one who has access to God, which has been true all along. That's the uniqueness to what Moses has done for the people of God as he's led them. He has, in fact, been their voice, the access point to God. And so we got to give him the benefit of the doubt for a minute, right? Because this is the reality that Moses is wading into. Moses and the Israelites have spent 400 years in slavery, just remember that. That's what the only life they knew, generation after generation after generation. Thus, what is Moses tasked with? He's tasked with ordering an alternative society. And not a single person out of all of those that have been led out of Egypt know anything other than Egypt. This world that they're experiencing now on the other side of the Red Sea doesn't compare to anything any single person in the collective of freedom finders has ever known. They aren't in Egypt anymore. 
and they don't know how to exist. And so Moses is tasked with forming a completely alternative society to what these people have known century after century after century. And it's at that point I'm like, oh, well then let's not give Moses a hard time. Right, Walter Brueggemann describes this ordering of an alternative society that Moses is undertaking like this. Obviously, he also declares that Moses is doing his best, but here's what he says. He says, Moses dismantles the politics of oppression and exploitation, which is what they experienced in Egypt, by countering it with the politics of justice and compassion. The reality emerging out of the Exodus is not just a new religion or a new religious idea or a vision of freedom, but the emergence of a new social community in history, a community that had to devise laws, patterns of governance and order, norms of right and wrong, and sanctions of accountability. The participants in the Exodus found themselves undoubtedly surprising to them involved in the intentional formation of a new social community to match the vision of God's freedom. Now that's heady work right there, right? But what is he saying? He's saying a whole new way of existing in the world is being formed. These people who left Egypt literally had no concept of how to take care of themselves. Because all they'd ever known was slavery. And so it is that Moses is the leader they needed. Because Moses, as we've watched him up to this point, in the handfuls of chapters of Exodus leading into Exodus 18, what we see is that Moses himself is on board with being a work in progress. He's received that and embraced that. He's continually adjusting and changing his mind and adapting Listening to the people, listening to God all along the way. Isn't that our invitation as well? That we would be people who are on board with being a a work in progress. Listening to people, listening to God, and then continuing to form into who he intends for us to be. Brueggemann goes on to say this about Moses. He says, the program of Moses is not the freeing of a little band of slaves as an escape from the empire, though this is important enough, especially if you happen to be in that little band. Rather, his work is nothing less than an assault on the consciousness of the empire, aimed at nothing less than the dismantling of the empire, both in its social practices and in its mythic pretensions. The idea here is that they didn't know any other way to exist in the world but the way that Egypt had been run. And Egypt was oppressive, And so they have to redefine what it looks like to be the people of God living among one another as God orders and leads his people. He's trying to get the Egypt out of the people he's leading. The empire mentalities that they wouldn't just leave Egypt and then become like Egypt, but that they would become an entirely new type of people who lived in an entirely different way where compassion and justice reign supreme. So if they're still doing it like Egypt, they're doing it wrong. And so are we. And in Exodus, we find that the people are learning, learning that they matter and that there is justice for people who matter. Quite the life-altering reality 
for those formerly oppressed for over four centuries, that they matter and that there's justice for people who matter. And so that's why Moses has this little system set up. Compassion and justice for his people. It's just an incomplete system. So after Moses's explanation to his father-in-law who critiques the whole system in place, and we're granting him now the benefit of the doubt, Jethro comes down off the top rope and here's what he has to say. This is not good, Moses' father-in-law exclaimed, which are really the words we all long to hear from our father-in-law. This is not good. You're going to wear yourself out and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now listen to me and let me give you a word of advice and may God be with you. You should continue to be the people's representative before God, bringing their disputes to him. Teach them God's decrees and give them his instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives. But he's like, keep doing the thing that you care about. You just can't keep doing it the same way. He's literally gonna wear everyone out if he keeps doing this. Like not just himself, one who has to sit there from morning till evening and hear dispute after dispute after dispute. That's obviously gonna wear him out, but he's gonna wear the people out. Because can you just envision that line? If it's morning till evening that people wait. There's this line of people who have a dispute with one another and they're waiting in line, holding their dispute between one another until they can get to Moses. Right, like day after day, week after week, that's just not, they're not gonna make it to Moses. Right, like the dispute's gonna be settled prior to that. Everyone will be worn out by this way of leading. The language, wear yourselves out, if you translate the Hebrew, it could either mean to shrivel, so everyone will shrivel, or it could mean to fade away like a leaf. Like that's an interesting concept to imagine. The people of God led out of Egypt, out of slavery through the Red Sea. Those in pursuit of them are washed away. They're out in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And if they keep this up, they'll just fade away like a leaf. This system of justice will actually hurt the people and Moses. Because it turns out there is a wrong way to do the right thing. There's a wrong way to do the right thing and this is what Moses is doing. He's got the right intention but the wrong system. So it seems there's this reality that we can all relate to. Conflict is to be expected. That's going to happen and continue to happen. But the work is to create a system to sort through it so that people and Moses flourish, that they don't shrivel up or fade away like a leaf. And the reality is that Moses cannot figure this out alone and he cannot execute it alone. He needs help, which is just a great leadership principle in and of itself that we need help. So is there a way through. 
Jethro seems to think there is. So here's what Jethro says. He says, but select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders over groups of 1,000, 100, 50, and 10. See a new system being formed. He said, they should always be available to solve the people's common disputes, but have them bring the major cases to you. Let the leaders decide the smaller matters themselves. They will help carry the load making the task easier for you. If you follow this advice, and if God commands you to do so, Jethro gives God the last word in all of this. He says, then you will be able to endure the pressures and all these people will go home in peace. And when he says that all these people will go home in peace, that word is shalom, which doesn't just mean that they have peace of mind. It means the entire community of people has a holistic sense of things are as they should be. Justice and compassion reign and draw that community together to acknowledge that God is the one who's ordered it. So it seems that if our burden is too heavy as Moses is apparently is, that it actually impacts all of those around us. And that's an intriguing indictment on much of the way we live our lives in the Western world. So often we're prone to elevate those who work so hard, who just put in all the time, who just run the race, the pursuit of the dream. What if? Chasing the dream is actually running away from who God intends for you to be. What if that's not what we're supposed to elevate? What if there's a balance between how hard we work, right? Not saying that, but also how intentional we are to rest, to Sabbath. Because you know why Moses and the people of God are prone to forget how to rest? Because they never rested for 400 years in Egypt. That's what was stolen from them, was the rhythms and habits of working and resting. Instead, they just built bricks seven days a week. And so in creating a completely alternative and new society, Moses has fallen into the temptation himself and has placed too much burden on his own shoulders, saying this is what it's supposed to look like to lead but his burden's too heavy and it's beginning to impact everyone around him. Which even if you just pause for a moment and reflect on your own life, ask yourself that. Is the burden you carry too heavy and impacting those around you? And if the answer is yes, or maybe even, then know that there's an invitation to come to Jesus, the one who offers us what kind of burden and load a light one, because he too is longing to reorder the way in which we live our lives so that there might be shalom, holistic peace, because things are as they should be among us. That's the invitation that Jethro has put before Moses. And he lays out the kinds of people he's gonna need to help him 
Those people will be capable and honest. They'll fear God and they'll hate bribes. Right, some well-rounded people to judge is what they're gonna do. So what did Moses do? This next line is also a miracle in the pages of scripture. Verse 24, Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice. <laughs> and he followed his suggestions. And he chose capable men from all over Israel and pointed them as leaders over the people. He put them in charge of groups of 1,150 and 10. And these men were always available to solve the people's common disputes. They brought the major cases to Moses, but they took care of the smaller matters themselves. Soon after this, Moses said goodbye to his father-in-law, who returned to his own land. I think this is kind of a boring story, right? Like, I get that. It's a little bit boring, except it's not when you go, hold on, Moses, the great hero of the faith, the man who led the people of God out of slavery in Egypt, who was setting up an entire new society, chose to listen to God speak to him through his father-in-law and change an entire system he had formed. That tells us a lot about Moses that's worth following and paying attention to. The humility to receive criticism with an open mind and then adjust accordingly. And not only did he change his system, but he even shared his own influence, his own leadership. He handed that off to other people. And in doing so, the community as a whole benefited. Moses is a person, he's faithful to God, always listening to the Lord, trying to respond to what he's saying. He's available to God. Even just in the way in which he does, in fact, engage with Jethro, proves his availability to God as a whole. And he's teachable. Like, aren't these traits that we would want to embody as leaders as well? To be faithful, to be available, and to be teachable. There's one like underlying thing to all of this that just captures me every single time and it's throughout the pages of scripture to be honest. It's essentially this, that Moses listens to the voice of God. This time the voice of God came through his father-in-law Jethro. But he listens to the voice of God and then he does what God asks him to do. And is this just not the way of the Christian life that we would learn to listen to the voice of God and then do what he asks us to do? And I got to the end of all of this. I'm like, ah, oh, it's a great story, Exodus 18. Look at all the cool principles we paid attention to. And I said, what do we need though from this? Because there maybe there's something already that the spirit of God is prompting in you that you need to pay attention to. But I just go, we need to hear from God. You need to hear from God. I need to hear from God. We need to hear from God. Because imagine what the community as a whole would look like if it was filled with people listening to the voice of God and responding in obedience. 
One thing that Moses said in Deuteronomy 4, 7, he says, what other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And so I wanna ask if you'd allow me to guide us into a time of hearing from God. You don't have to like verbally say yes or raise your hand. You can just choose to participate when we get to that stage. But that's the invitation, is that you'd allow me to guide us into a time of hearing from God. Giving him the last word of this time together, or maybe the first words you've ever heard from him. Actually, I would argue you've probably been hearing from God your whole life, whether you know him personally or not. We just haven't tuned into the frequency. And so I wanna give us an opportunity to tune in to the voice of God that longs to speak, that is already speaking and has something to say to every single one of us here. So what I'm gonna do is it's kind of like a thought experiment, but really we're praying. And I'll guide you through a handful of steps. All you have to do is sit in your seat and be present to the spirit of God. If you choose to not be a part of it, that's fine as well. But I'm gonna pray first, and then we'll continue praying as I guide us in that. Here, let's pray together. God, first of all, we just acknowledge that you are here and that you are a God who wants to meet with us. You are a God who is already speaking to us. And so God, every time your people intentionally come before you to hear the voice of God, I am certain that the spiritual enemies among us immediately want to drown out that noise. And so we ask that in the power of the name of Jesus, that you would remove all other noises, all other voices, and you would tune our ears and our hearts and our minds and our lives to the frequency of your voice so that we would hear you and meet with you today. And so as we settle into a posture of prayer, perhaps your eyes are closed, perhaps your hands are opened. I ask you this question to begin. If you could meet God anywhere at all for a one-on-one -on -one conversation, where would you meet God? Imagine yourself in that place now with God. And as you envision this place and you're there prepared to meet with God, how might God come to you there? How might he reveal himself to you? Imagine him coming that way perhaps as a friend or a father or a teacher, however it is he might come to you. Imagine him meeting you there. And as you picture now God in this place, and you can look God in the face. What expression do you see? How does God look at you? And as God looks at you with that expression, would you ask him now 
in the stillness of your own heart, say, God, what is the first thing you want to say to me? And then listen. And now let's ask God this, in light of even some of what we've already prayed here today, ask God if you gave him your problem or your question or your challenge or your grief, ask God what he would wanna give you in exchange as a gift. And if that trade, in fact, interests you, then pray to God that he can have it. This God you're encountering right now, who I'm certain is full of pure love and hospitality is known in the person of Jesus, the God who is love, The face of God is Jesus Christ himself, and he loves you. As you see him before you, your mind right now, know that that God loves you. Invite that God to tell you the good news you need to hear. Say, God, tell me the good news I need to hear. God, we love you so much. We thank you that you are faithful to come to us and show yourself to us. We see you and we receive your love for us. Continue speaking. And by the power of your spirit within us, continue to empower us to live and act in obedience. Not because guilt or shame are upon us, but because your love is freeing and empowering and we are forgiven and now made whole and you send us out to be your people in this world to exist in a world in which we cannot do it on our own we are in deep need of you and we are in deep need of each other unite us as a family of God fill us with your love send us with your power so that you might be known in this world. The God who reconciles and heals and restores and makes whole. We long to join you in this work, God, that you are already doing. Give us eyes to see. We love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. 
If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.